Dear Lord Jesus, we worship you and we praise you, Lord. Lord, give us wisdom how to handle your glory, Father. Give us faith, Father. Let faith arise and the enemy be scattered, God. As we still ourselves in your presence, Lord, your servant Louise has a message that you've laid upon her heart. And I ask you, God, to bless her, to anoint her with your Holy Spirit, God, to bring forth that which you would desire for our congregation at this time. We would be careful to give you the praise and the glory in all things, for it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you for the privilege of standing behind this pulpit, and I, I never want to take that privilege for granted. This is the place where the man or woman of God stands and gives out the word of the Lord, and so it's a very special place, and I, I do thank you for that opportunity to stand here. I want to say tonight that I love the church. The, the title of my devotion tonight is How Beautiful is the Body of Christ. Now, when I say I love the church, I must put some qualifiers on that statement. I don't love the church of my sister's denomination that believes they can marry homosexuals when my God says homosexuality is an abomination. And I don't love the church that my cousin attends where they say, I'm okay, and you're okay, and let's just get along and live in peace and all is gonna be well. You see, I don't love the church where there's no understanding of the bondage of sin that we are born into, nor the sacrifice that Jesus made to break the sin the hold of sin on our lives. That's not the church I love, but I do love the church of the living God, the victorious church of the living God. Every single one of us in this building started out with the same spiritual condition. We were all under the curse of sin and death and the grave. We were all lost and undone, but then praise the Lord, then came Jesus, amen? Hebrews 10 begins by telling us that the, the law of the Old Testament was only a shadow of the good things to come. We're reminded in that chapter that the sacrifices prescribed by the laws of the Old Testament had to be offered continually, and yet the blood of bulls and goats could not take away our sins. Then came Jesus, who offered himself up one time the sacrifice for our sins, and then he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting for his enemies to be made his footstool. The offering Jesus made has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. Verse 16 and 17 of that 10th chapter of Hebrews says, This is the covenant I will make with them. After those days, declares, declares the Lord, I will put my laws in their hearts and write them on their minds. Then he adds, their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. Yes, this is the church. Those of us who have had their sins washed away by the blood of Jesus, those of us whose sins God does not remember, 
Those who can look up to God and cry out, Abba, Father, because we have a relationship with him. We blood-bought ones are a community of faith. The New World Encyclopedia defines community as a social group sharing an environment. And it goes on to say something that I really like when it pertains to the church. It says that a community is a group that is distinct from the larger society within which it exists. The distinctness of the church, the victorious church, of the Lord Jesus Christ. I love the church, the community of born-again, blood-bought children of God who share interest and beliefs and intent. This particular community of faith, the Palace of Praise, is built around shared beliefs, shared faith with the victorious church of every past age and every future age to come. Our pastor and other leaders of this part of the victorious church of Jesus Christ have sought God fervently and they've heard from God and as a result they've developed a mission statement and a roadmap as it were for this church to move forward and become the church that God desires it to be and we have an overhead if you would put that up now please some of you have, perhaps have not seen this before um, and we're just going to go over it very quickly. If you look at the bottom of the triangle, you will see there's the words philosophy of ministry. And what is the philosophy of our ministry? It is that we want a contemporary church. We don't want to be stuck back in the 50s or the 40s or whatever. But we want it with traditional values because we're not willing to give up our traditional values. So look at the core values and let's see what are the core values that we as the Palace of Praise stand for. We believe in worship, amen? We believe in evangelism. And we believe that people need to be discipled. We believe in fellowship one with another and caring for one another. We believe in cleanliness we believe in developing character and the character of servanthood. We believe that we are accountable to one another and we want to be spirit filled. We believe in prayer and we believe that we are stewards of all the gifts and talents and material goods that God has given to us. Amen. We strive for excellence and we want to be a church that is accepting of one another. And we, we want to have Pentecostal experiences, amen? We want all the gifts of the Spirit in operation in our church. Then let's look at the mission. The palace has a mission statement, and it says, The palace of praise exists to expand the kingdom of God by exalting Jesus Christ and equipping believers with ministry and purpose. That is our mission here at the palace. And so if we have that mission, we want to see, well, what does that look like? So we have a profile. If you'll notice, the word servant is on is, uh, the side of these words. And so our profile is going to look like this. This is what we want to look like. We want to be spirit-filled. Everything we do, we want to do with excellence. We are the body of the redeemed, and we want to act like and talk like and be like the body of the redeemed of the Lord Jesus. We are a victorious church. Amen. We want everyone to be anointed for ministry. We want to be nurtured by care. 
And we must be, absolutely must be, taught in the word. This is what the profile of this church needs to look like, and this is what we strive for. We have a strategy, a strategy to get where we're going. If you'll look at the seven steps of the strategy, we want to establish relationships with one another. We want people to do individual, I'm sorry, individual witnessing and invitation. We want to invite those who don't know the Lord Jesus to come to know him. So we got to witness to them. We've got to establish relationships with them. We want everyone who comes in here to be assimilated into the membership of the body of Christ. We are committed to stewardship, and we want people to, 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 to use that. Uh, we want people to be involved in small group participation so that we can get to know one another better, so we can work together better. We want all of our special gifts and talents to be identified, and we want to be plugged in to the palace so that those gifts and talents can be used for the good of the body. And, and we want this church to develop leadership. And finally, at the very top, you will see the vision to build a church of 2,000 people who have ministry and purpose. Not just to have 2,000 people in the church. We want to have people who have uh, who know what their ministry is, they know what their purpose is, they're plugged into the body of Christ, they're working in the body to the good of all of us and to the glory of the Lord Jesus. So I wanted to bring that to us just because maybe it's been a while since you've seen it, and it's been a while since I had seen it. As with any distinct community, each of us must carry responsibility for the good of all. First of all, we have the responsibility to keep ourselves spiritually healthy. We are to live lives in harmony with the Spirit of God. A pastor spoke to us Sunday about the responsibility we have to examine ourselves to determine whether we're merely going through the rituals in our worship and service to God or whether we are continually being renewed and revived. We have to inspect our devotion, making sure it's devotion based on a loving, vital relationship to our God. Our worship must be a matter of heart devotion. We love him because he first loved us. The relationship we have with God is what gives life and energy to our worship and service. I think the saddest thing that I see in the Christian world is Christians who go about, oh, they come to church because that's what Christians do. They may be involved in teaching a class in church or other service to the church. They may even half-heartedly witness, but they do it with no passion and no excitement and no joy. How can we ever expect sinners to have an appetite for God if that's what they see in us? God help us to be that fire-born church, that, the ones that have this fire burning in our bones, you know? To keep ourselves spiritually happy, uh, healthy, we must not only examine the health of our relationship to God on a daily basis, we must develop spiritual disciplines. How can we grow in our relationship with God if we neglect the word of God that tells us who God is and what he expects from us? We're required to 
to reject profane and old wives' tales and to exercise ourselves to be godly. But how can we know what godliness is unless we know what God is like? The longest psalm in the Bible extols the virtues of the Word of God. And I love some of these verses. Psalm 119.105, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Verse 130, the entrance of your word gives light. It gives understanding to the simple. Verse 133, direct my steps in your word and let no iniquity have dominion over me. And that verse 11 from that chapter that many of us memorize as children Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against God. We need to develop the discipline of church attendance. Hebrews 10.25 says, Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manners of some, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as we see the day approaching. Did you catch the phrases assembling together and so much the more? We read and study the Bible at home, or we should, but we need to be a faithful in assembling together. God has given us worship leaders to help lead us into worship. God has placed shepherds over us, men and women, who are called by God and anointed by God to help us understand the Word of God and flesh it out in our lives. We need to assemble together on a regular basis. This keeps us on the same page. This creates community as we learn of Him together. And I want to say something. I think we have the best pastors in the world. Every single one of them has a heart after God. Amen. We are blessed. We are blessed. A few years ago at ladies retreat during an intermission in the services, a young lady probably in her late teens or early twenties turned around and began talking to me. And she said, you know, they are telling me that I need to join the church. I don't see why I need to join the church. I don't think it's that important. I mean, I can serve God without joining the church. She was probably just venting and didn't expect a reply from me. But of course, being a big mouth like I am, <laughs> I gave her a reply. I said to her, they are right. You do need to join the church because the church needs you, and you need the church. The church needs your particular talents and gifts. The church needs your energy. The church needs the encouragement that you can give others. The church needs your prayers, and you need the church. You need its teaching, and you need its accountability. You need to learn to join in corporate worship, and you need to, the encouragement and the fellowship that others who are on the same journey can give you. Yes, dear one, you need the church, and the church needs you. I hope my response helped her understand the importance of church membership. It's all about commitment. We have a process for people to go through here at the palace in order to become a member of the church of the palace. If you are a born-again, blood-bought member of God's kingdom, we invite you to become a member of this particular part of the body of Christ. And we provide classes that explain who we are and what we believe. 
If you're not a member of the church, and you would like to be, and you should be if you are a bought, blood-bought member of the kingdom, I encourage you to take the steps to become a member by signing up for the Connect Track classes that begin here on February 10th. You can sign up in the foyer. If you're a member of the church, uh, you need to be plugged into a ministry. We have uh, Melody Beebe as an assimilation director. It's her responsibility to help us to get plugged into ministry for the good of the body of, the, of Christ. And so you could call her and she can help you with that. As a member of the community of faith, we're not only responsible to, for keeping our relationship maintained and in good order between us and God, we also must extend and maintain our relationships with each other. 1 Corinthians 12, beginning in verse 13, says, For by one Spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and have all been made to drink into one Spirit. For in fact the body is not one member, but many. Verse 25 goes on to say, And there should be no schism in the body but that the members should have the same care for one another. And if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. And if one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now you are the body of Christ and members individually. If I love Jesus, and I do, how could I not love the church that he died to save? How could I not love the people of God that make up the church? Again, we go to the word of God to determine what responsibilities we have to one another. For one thing, we have the responsibility to love one another. The word says that this is how the world out there will know that we have a relationship with God when we love one another. The word even defines love for us, so we'll know what it is. In 1 Corinthians 13, reading from the Living Bible, love is very patient and kind, never jealous or envious, never boastful or proud, never haughty or selfish or rude. Love does not demand its own way. It's not irritable or touchy. It does not hold grudges and will hardly even notice when others do it wrong. It's never glad about injustice, but rejoices when truth wins out. If you love someone, you will be loyal to them no matter what the cost. You will always believe in him, always expect the best of him, and always stand your ground in defending him. We have the responsibility to speak words of edification to one another. Ephesians 4:29. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. There should be no negative, gossipy, or thoughtless words come out of the mouth of those who are a part of the victorious church of Jesus Christ. We have the responsibility to encourage one another on our journey, Hebrews 10, 24. And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. 
1 Thessalonians 5, verses 12 through 22, gives us a number of ideas of our responsibility towards the community of faith. And I begin reading it here. It says, And we urge you, brethren, to recognize those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you, and to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake. Be at peace among yourselves. Now we exhort you, brethren, warn those who are unruly, comfort the faint-hearted, uphold the weak, be patient with all, see that no one renders evil for evil to anyone, but always pursue what is good, both for yourselves and for all. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, in everything gives thanks. Give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophecies. Test all things. Hold fast what is good. Abstain from every evil. Now, none of us are so spiritual that we don't sometimes say or do the wrong thing. Therefore, we must be quick to forgive one another. The word says we're to forgive one another even as God has forgiven us. We are to pursue peace and harmony. Harmony, I'm sorry. At the same time, we must not be easily offended. If someone says or does something that offends us, let's get over it and get on with the business of worshiping and serving our Lord and Master. Amen. Pastor has warned us about the shaking that is coming and even is here in some cases. During the time of shaking, we need the church to be the church more than ever before. Now, I love the victorious church of the living God. It's a place where it doesn't matter what your economic status is or what race you display on your features. I love the church where your past background doesn't matter, having been put in the sea of forgetfulness at the soul's repentance. I love the church where all are welcomed and with sincere hospitality and are loved and are respected. I love the church where its members understand the power of example and are careful about the example they set for others. I love the church where dedicated men and women give sacrificially of their time and their talent and their resources and their energy to teach or usher or provide security or take care of babies in the nursery. I love the church that visits the sick to bring a smile and a prayer. I love the church that blesses the bereaved with something they've cooked and a hug and a word of encouragement or a card or just sits with them as they adjust to the forever changes in their lives. I love the church that walks the streets in their neighborhood praying for each person in every house that they might be set free from sin and asking God to give them opportunities to lead their neighbors to Jesus. I love the church that notices the children in the neighborhood and becomes a friend to them and shares the love of Jesus with them. I love the church that sees the burden their fellow employees carry at work and steps out on a limb to start a prayer meeting during the noon hour so that the strength of God can be brought into the situation. 
I love the church that cooks meals to help the new mother and takes a gift to welcome her new little blessing. I love the church that sends out buses to pick up children, to bring them to the church and to bring them to Jesus. I love the church who spends their Wednesdays cooking a meal to serve hungry children and adults alike, and then finishes up by washing dishes and cleaning up the serving area. I love the church where many members give up their Tuesday and Thursday nights for months in order to put on a play for the community, all with the hope that many will be saved. I love the church where people understand the priority and the power of prayer, where they gather Wednesday nights and other times during the week to intercede for those who need the miracle of healing, to pray for the unsaved, for the grieving, to intercede for church leadership, to pray for our president and our country. Yes, I love the church of the living God, and I do believe it is beautiful. I used to sing a song. It was called uh, How Beautiful It was the name of it. And the very last verse says, How beautiful the radiant bride who waits for her groom with his light in her eyes. How beautiful when humble hearts give the fruit of pure lives so that others may live. How beautiful is the body of Christ. Amen and amen. So when we pray tonight, I'm going to ask you to do something a little bit different. I would like for all the ladies to come on this side, and come up on this side, please, and all the gentlemen, please, to come up on that side for something that we're going to do after you get up here. So come on up here, and we're going to pray. How are we doing, time? Oh, we're doing good. Hallelujah, Lord. Father, we